Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Dr. St. John, I always appreciate speaking with you. Thank you for coming on the program. Would you start with this, please? What is the role of public health at a time like this? Uh, Good question. Uh, Very good question. First of all, thank you very much for the invitation. Um, I've always felt that that, uh, public health, which really deals with populations rather than individual patients, as opposed to critical health, uh, has always always has a political component because sometimes, often, often the public health measures that are required to deal with um, infectious disease outbreaks do have impacts beyond just health. Uh, I, I, I recall during the SARS 2003 uh, when we were in the midst of the outbreak in Toronto, uh, as an example, Chinese restaurants emptied because people thought that uh, you could catch uh, coronavirus, COVID-1, in a Chinese restaurant. Uh, well, that, we, we really didn't anticipate, to be honest, that particular impact of, uh, of COVID. Uh, it, took, it took our prime minister having lunch in a Chinese restaurant to sort of calm down that whole issue. So there's always a, a, a political dimension to public health. Okay. So we have public health at the municipal level, at the provincial level, at the federal level and at the international level with the World Health Organization, where you uh, were the director for the Americas. question for you here is this. The World Health Organization warns that Omicron variant could pose a very high risk of infection surges, and that may result in, quote, severe consequences, end quote. How does the World Health, Health Organization arrive at such warnings when much remains unknown about the potential of the variant to spread quickly and how serious its infections are. Are they not ringing the alarm bell potentially louder at the same time they're trying to ring it less loud? Well, I think the World Health Organization has, has to take a very broad uh, view of things and look at the whole picture. And when they look at the whole picture, they see many, many countries that have not had access to vaccine and have huge proportions of their population unvaccinated and therefore extremely vulnerable to this rapid spread of, uh, of a coronavirus, especially one that looks like, like Omicron, Omicron will be. Um, so they, they, have to, they, they have to take a broad uh, picture. And I think when they look at that picture and they see this, these big disparities, they, they, uh, it's logical to conclude that the, the new variant uh, could cause significant harm uh, across the world but not equally across the world, because the well-off nations are going to do better than the poor nations. Um, but they may—they're—they're they're trying to draw attention uh, to a disparity here. <laughs> so, the question then becomes: How the global community responds? We re- we experienced an H1N1 pandemic in 2009, SARS six years earlier. 
you were the Canadian manager of the SARS uh, effort. I don't recall the same kind of reaction and life management by governments and health agencies during <laughs> either of those situations. And I've been told that we really dodged a bullet in 2009 with H1N1. We did, uh, well, we did. There were both with H1N1 and with COVID-1. We dodged a bullet because these viruses were not uh, as, as highly transmissible as the current one we're dealing with. Two really different situations. Uh, COVID-1 in Canada was predominantly in Toronto, and it was predominantly hospital-based transmission uh, as opposed to what we call community-based transmission. In other words, with COVID-2, because COVID-2 is spread out into the community. So it is much broader in terms of its impact than, say, COVID-1 was. So two different, two different uh, viruses, two different behaviors, uh, and, and, uh, and that leads to uh, quite, a, quite a bit of disparate differences in the way we have to deal with it. You mentioned politics plays a role in public health, and I understand that globally, nationally, probably at the lower levels as well. But does politics get to the point, does the influence of the political spectrum start to interfere with public health doing its job and advising people on the appropriate action to take and then start to compromise the very, the very mission of public health? Does politics just play an interference role far, far greater than it, than it ever should? Well, I'm, I'm not sure I'd call it an inter- interference role as more as I would call it two really distinct and different points of view. Public health is going to focus almost exclusively on the health dimensions of the problem. Uh, and so the recommendations that they will come forward with based on science for controlling a particular virus like COVID-2 are going to be focused on how do we stop transmission, how do we keep people healthy, how do we prevent death, and so forth. That's the focus. On the political side, uh, there's another focus that is based on our, our well-being economically as a whole and how do we keep our economy in good enough shape so that people are not on the street, so that people are not standing in soup kitchens, so that we don't have major depressions and, and, and recessions and so forth. That's another, uh, that's another point of view. And, and they, come, they, they do clash in a way. Uh, I mean, we've had, uh, in Ontario, we've had several waves of, of uh, COVID-2, and I'm, I'm always impressed with the second wave, how rapidly the cases came down when we had a full implementation of not only vaccination but public health measures. And then they kind of sort of bottom, bottom out, not at zero, but at a low level. And then the other interests come into play and say, well, look at the damage that's being done to our economy. We have to loosen up. That means reduce the public health measures, and sure enough, we get another wave. So it's a balance that goes back and forth between two interests that are, that basically the interest of the public is at heart, but they are two different approaches and two different areas of focus. Yeah, we were told that two vaccines would deliver protection and life would continue. Um, and most people move forward with that, and I'm sure that that was the, that was the belief, but now here we are with the variants and the boosters, and questions start to be asked, and this public resentment starts to build, as you're aware, Dr. St. John, toward restrictions, and they can lead to street protests, we've seen in, in Europe. So governments and public health agencies face difficulty if there's widespread public rejection of mandates or even recommendations. Public health can't do its job if people don't agree, right? 
Uh, absolutely. It's, it's, it's an axiom, uh, Roy, that, that, that uh, in, a, in a health emergency, an, an epidemic, an outbreak, the people that are going to manage that outbreak and try to contain it, they have one thing that they do not wish to lose. It's, it's high stakes. They cannot lose the trust of the public. Yeah. The public must understand, uh, must be, uh, must, you mu- we must explain to the public so they understand very carefully why we wish to do what we do. Um, you lose the trust of the public, uh, and the public is not going to be willingly following what you would like them to do. And we're seeing that. But, uh, yes, and I think I, I would be, I, 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 it's my opinion that when the vaccine became available, uh, there was a lot of uh, hype and over-promising of what this vaccine might do when we really didn't know what it might do in the long run. Uh, how long would the immunity last? Would the immunity be strong against multiple strains of coronavirus? Questions we did not know, but it was it was viewed as get get a vaccine and everything will be fine. We right. go back to normal. So I, I, that's unfortunate when things are overstated uh, and and uh, and people are not advised to be cautious. So yes, those things happen, uh, and I think we we we've been working ever since. I think to regain some of that trust to the public. Dr. St. John, as you see what uh, what's developing now and what has developed over the last year and a half, how do you assess the role, the job that public health has done? And if you were still in the positions that you were in with all three agencies, how would you address going forward? How would you communicate with people and what recommendations do you think you might be inclined to make? Well, uh, Is that a fair question? Yeah, that's good enough. <laughs> the, um, you know, it, it's, a, it's also a truism in, in public health in dealing with an infectious disease, disease outbreak or epidemic that the first, the first um, start of an epidemic is, is going to be uh, people with symptoms. Now, symptoms of um, runny nose and headache and whatnot can mean many different kinds of agents. So the next question is, well, what's causing it? And uh, then the question after that is, how widespread is it? And the question after that is, what kind of impact is that going to have in terms of mortality and hospital care and so forth? Well, you don't get answers to all that in the first few days after you've been told, first few days or weeks after you've been told that there's an outbreak of, of, a, of a transmissible disease. That is called the period of uncertainty. Uh, you don't know exactly what all the information is. You don't have all the information you'd like to have. And in that period of time, you can't just sit and wait. You still have to make some assumptions and take some action. The action might not be perfect at the time, uh, and you might have to dial it back uh, as you learn more. But the, the point is it's easier to overreact. It's better, I should say, to overreact rather than underreact because you can always dial it back. That's a difficult thing to explain to people who are, we're, we're so used to now having instant answers. I mean, you, you Google something and you get an instant answer. Yeah. And science doesn't quite work that way. It takes a while to sort out these questions that, that, that give us a strategy on how to contain an infectious disease outbreak. So that, that's, that's really a difficult thing. And um, what, what we have to do is we have to be sure that our messaging is not overstated or understated. I believe the public will accept uh, messages that say things are difficult, 
uh, things might be difficult for a while. Telling people that we really, really don't know for certain how this is going to shape up, but we have to we have to tell them uh, what we know at the time that we know it, and be straightforward with them. Yeah, that is so. And consistency of messaging is really, really significantly important. Uh, if anybody were to say lockdown again, I think there would be tremendous pushback. We're seeing it in Europe. There will probably be pushback, significant pushback in this country, and politicians recognize that, and public health recognizes that. So if I can just put that on the, in the corner of the, of, of the question here and ask you this, are COVID mutations going to become stronger? What's your sense? And more resistant, or will mutating when combined with a more vaccinated population result in a weakening of the threat COVID poses to national health? I'd like to hear that messaging come, coming from public health. Well, I think I think that one 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 thing is for sure is viruses mutate, uh, and they will change. And this virus is not going to be any different. Uh, what what's different between viruses is the rate at which they mutate. The influenza virus, for example, mutates every year, uh, and we have to have a vaccine tailored for that, that particular virus every single year. Uh, this virus, uh, we, we still, again, to be honest, don't know what, how fast this virus will mutate. And the current uh, Omicron virus is a bit of a surprise. Um, and so you can say, yes, we will have mutations and we will have new strains of this coronavirus for some time to come. How long? No one can tell you. No one can tell you. So... Um, that's an honest, straightforward message. Uh, will it get uh, worse in terms of its health impact? Um, viruses tend not to do that. They tend, now this is not intentional. Viruses don't do things by intention. But they tend to, uh, the mutations tend to favor spreading of the virus and not um, uh, the virus uh, decimating its product, the, the people they infect. So, uh, yeah, we're going, to have a, we're going to have this virus for a while. And uh, or variations of it, and our vaccine may have to be tailored, just as we do for the flu vaccine, and we may have to have annual annual um, uh, vaccinations. Again, these are maybe questions, and uh, we just need the time to to sort this out. So, pretty fluid playing field. At the moment, in the minute we have left, Doctor St. John, how does this current pandemic, this current health threat? compared to anything that you experienced over the years that you were involved with PHAC, the CDC, and the WHO? No, this is, um, this is a little bit reminiscent of um, the, the most recent thing in memory is, is the Zika virus outbreak. But the Zika virus was, was spread um, in Brazil, I mean, uh, where millions of people got infected. But it was uh, spread by a mosquito, so it was limited to the tropical and semi-tropical zones where the mosquito... Can, can live. The mosquitoes don't live in our winter here. Uh, they come out in the spring. So um, it was not as a, not a global pandemic, but it was a serious uh, outbreak okay. uh, in countries throughout Central America and Latin America. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.